Welcome to the Sunday message, Sunday the 11th of February 2024. We'll begin this message with a reading from the book of Corinthians, the well-known passage of scripture that describes love. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 to 8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these precious words from your Bible. We pray as always that these words will not pass by us without changing us, without affecting us deeply, and affecting us in such a way that we become better people, better examples of who you are in the earth today. We pray that no force of darkness will cloud our minds, and prevent this word from touching our hearts. In the wonderful name of Yeshua. Amen. The title of this message is The God Kind of Love. The God Kind of Love. As you and I know, there is an understanding of love in the world that we grow up with, I suppose. And as with many things, you and I have a vague understanding of what love really is. But the love that is described here in Corinthians is a very different kind of love. And it's important for us to try and understand what this love is. Because, you see, we are, as children of God, commanded to love. That's the primary command. Love God, of course, and then to love one another. We've got to try and understand this love so that we're better equipped to operate accordingly. At the outset, it needs to be said that the God kind of love is something so great, something so vast, something so immeasurable. I don't think any of us will ever really understand it. The side of heaven. Nonetheless, we are in this world for now. We have this command. So it is our duty to try and understand it as best we can and to work with what we do know. When we read this beautiful scripture, we'll notice a few things about this love. You'll notice that this love is active. It always does something, or decides not to do something. It suffers long. It is kind. It doesn't envy. Doesn't parade itself. Does not get puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Doesn't seek its own. Is not provoked. Doesn't think evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity rejoices in the truth, bears all things, 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The point is, this love isn't passive. It isn't waiting for something to happen. It's active. It does something. And if we think about that, we realize that it does something very often which is completely contrary to what you and I as human beings would naturally do. You see, love puts up with stuff. And you and I as Christians might think, well, I just have to bear with it, you see, put up with it. It's instructive to realize that, yes, love does put up with a lot of things, things that we perhaps don't like, and especially things done by other people that we might not like. I'm sure you and I have all realized in this earth, not everybody behaves in the way we would want them to. But you see, love goes beyond just, in a sense, putting up with it. Love is kind. Love chooses to be kind anyway. There are a few other things that we see love doing. For example, it doesn't seek its own. You and I as human beings, our natural tendency in any situation is always to work out, well, what's going to be the best for me? What's going to be the easiest thing for me? What's going to benefit me the most? That's our human nature. When we go to the shops and we check the prices, we're always thinking, well, what is the best deal I can get? Not that that's a wrong thing. But you see, when we're talking about love, we're talking about dealing with other people, situations that involve others. And while our human nature is to look for what suits us the best, what will advance us, this love that we're talking about here does exactly the opposite. This love is preoccupied with what will benefit others. It asks itself, what can I do that will help someone else? That's a far cry from the selfish love that this world knows, which thinks only of, how will this benefit me? Love is not provoked. Provoked means we are egged on to do something that's not right. We are stirred up to become angry, to react in a bad way. Our bad nature is excited and manipulated. But you see, God's love doesn't do that. It refuses to get provoked. It operates in a different spirit. Then we come to this understanding of thinks no evil. Our natural human tendency, strangely enough, is to always be inquisitive as to what bad things are happening. If you look at our news media, you'll realize it thrives on this very thought. Humans are only interested, generally speaking, in bad news. Why? It's our human nature. But the love of God runs contrary to that and makes us to choose rather not to think on evil. Our human nature goes even further than that. 
somehow we don't just thrive on evil, we rejoice in it. But God's love doesn't rejoice in bad stuff, especially when we see it in other people. God's love places a different call on our lives. Not only does real love not rejoice in ugly things, but it rejoices in truth. That implies that love looks for truth, looks for God's opinion in situations, and rejoices whenever we find it. Completely different to the way we've been trained. God's love bears all things. What does that mean, to bear all things? Very close to that is believes all things, hopes all things. Our human nature feasts very often on the negative things that happen when we come to people that don't meet up to our great standards, of course, we give up on them. Our human nature is to write them off, to separate ourselves, leave them behind. But God's love doesn't do that, you see. Love sees these things, doesn't ignore them, but somehow it sees beyond these things. It believes all things, meaning it believes that things can come right, that people can come right. And hopes for that. It's one thing to believe that something can come right. It's another thing to desire that to come right, to want to see it come right. A sad aspect of your and my nature, human nature, is that so often, so often, deep, deep down, we rejoice in someone else's shortcomings. And there might be many other reasons for this, but very often we look at ourselves and we see great shortfalls in our own lives. And when we come across somebody, especially somebody perhaps who's done well and then fails, in a very perverted way, it props up our acceptance of our own failures. Love doesn't work that way. God's love does not work that way. Love wants the best for everyone, believes for the best, hopes for the best continually trust God to do something great in others as well as ourselves. It goes on to say that love endures all things. What does it mean to endure all things? The understanding is that the God kind of love has a going through mentality. Our society rewards achievement and success not that that's a bad thing. And there's a tremendous pressure on people to succeed, whatever that succeed actually means. And it's not a bad thing to have ambition and drive and all these good things. God doesn't want us to sit around passively waiting for something to happen. But in this process, it is true that very often things don't work out the way we want them to. And the road that we are walking becomes very steep and very challenging. And very often the tendency is to say, oh well, this is not working, so I'll just give it up. Now, we need to be balanced about this because there is a time, certainly, when you and I realize that what we are doing is not really perhaps what we are supposed to be doing. I remember a friend of mine when I was at university, 
We started out studying law together. The first year went well. The second year was a bit more challenging. And I'll never forget the frustration that I saw in my friend when he's trying to get his mind around Roman law. He had to study Roman law in those days. And I saw him get very frustrated, very unhappy, very disgruntled, and he had no peace. Well, at the end of that year, he decided to change, and he started to study education. And he became a very successful teacher. I heard later that he became the headmaster of a school. Now, one understands that there are times to make changes in life. But that having been said, there are times, especially when we know what it is that God has asked us to do. In times like those, and obviously the enemy of our soul is not happy for us to achieve that which God has ordained, but we find ourselves running up against tremendous obstacles. Things come our way that we probably didn't plan or expect, and on occasion, things might look impossible. It's in that situation that the God kind of love comes into its own. The God kind of love endures all things. Goes through. Keeps going. And ultimately, you see, it never fails. Now, in all of these situations, and there are others which we haven't covered here, you'll notice that the love of God has to make a choice. Our human nature demands in certain situations that we react in a certain way. The way of the flesh, you might call it. What suits me. But God's love is exactly the opposite. We have to say, no, I won't do that. I'll do rather what I'm expected to do. A difficult decision that we have to make. That is the heart of this God kind of love. And you might say, well, what is the motivation for that? If it's not going to suit me, why bother? Well, you see, this touches the very heart of God's love. The word love in this particular text is a word translated from the Greek word agape. Agape love. The Greek language has other words for love, and there are different kinds of love. We won't go there. But this agape love is a love in a class of its own, because it is based on you and I making a decision. It is not a feeling. It is an act of the will. You see, the world system is very soulish orientated. It's all based on how we feel. And we have maybe a love for somebody or something, meaning that we feel good about that person. We feel good about that situation. We feel good about that object. It's all based in how we feel. The true God kind of love cuts beyond our feelings. It goes beyond that. The question is, why? Well, you see, the basis of the God kind of love, is this understanding that God first loved us. When we look at our lives, and I don't think there are any exceptions, 
We've carried on with our lives, thinking perhaps that we were nice people, good people, not too bad, probably better here than there. And then a wonderful day arrives, we get saved. And now we encounter God's love. I'd say in every case, we suddenly realize that from his perspective, we weren't really that lovable. What I'm saying is that God's decision to save us was never based on the fact that we were such wonderful people. The Gospel of John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, the entire world, that he gave his only son. God so loved the world. That is the world in all its ugliness, warts and all. The love of God loves the unlovely, which is you and I. When we grasp this fact that as children of God we are loved, we realize that that same love has been planted in us, whether we feel it or not. That very same love is, as once again the word says, shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Now, as human beings, our conclusion might be, well, I don't feel it, so it can't be there. That's the big mistake, you see. This love, which I'll call covenant love, because once you and I have been accepted into the family, whether we like it or not, we are now placed in a relationship with one another, other blood-washed children of God. And you see, the truth is that God has placed that love in us because he has placed himself in us. By the Holy Spirit, there is a deposit of God in you and I. The big question, though, is what are you and I going to do with it, you see? And that's where this understanding comes. We read these scriptures and we have a road map, as it were, laid out for us. Now the question is, what are we going to do about it? And you see, the right response is to say, well, if that is what God has said, that is what I must do. Even if I don't feel like it. Even if somebody really irritates me. Especially somebody who's a child of the living God, who I have to put up with on a daily basis. I must respond and be kind. In any situation, I don't have the right to behave rudely or impatiently or impulsively. No, I have to choose not to seek my own, not to throw my toys out of the cot, not to just perform in the way I would normally perform. Can you see? When bad news comes my way, I have to make a choice to reject it, not to think about it, to rather think good of people, to rather see the good in them, whatever it is, to realize that God loves them and believe that all things are possible. Believe that it's possible for that person, other people, to come right. Hopes for all things, all good things. Hope for our community. Hope for our country. Hope for the world. And when faced with difficulties, to have the attitude, I'm not giving up. 
I'm not giving up. God is inside of me. He wants me to succeed. I'm going to keep going. Now, at first you see, decisions like these might be very difficult for us. Especially if our whole world has been, which is inevitably the case, focused on ourselves. I like to say that the greatest revelation you and I can ever have in life is the revelation that the whole universe doesn't revolve around us. That having been said, it still doesn't make it easy. Because you see, our flesh, the old man, always seeks to clamber off the altar and just behave as he always used to behave. But you see, as we allow the Word of God to penetrate our hearts, as we allow it to do what it's designed to do and give us just that incentive to decide in every situation, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm choosing to do what is right. I'm choosing to do what God expects me to do. I'm choosing to do what he always has to choose to do for me. And might I add, what he expects others to do for us. The beauty is that as you and I have the courage to persist in this, something wonderful happens. Paul prayed for the people of Galatia. He actually said that he travailed as if in childbirth for them. And his travail was for this thing, this very purpose, until Christ be formed in them. Christ formed in them. You might recall the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, talking of the Lord. He was with God and in God, and He became flesh. He became flesh and dwelt among us. There's a pattern here, you see. There's a pattern that you and I need to pick up for everyday living. The Word of God, when you and I take it in, take it on board, so to speak, and choose, even albeit painfully at times, to react and to behave in accordance, slowly but surely. That word becomes fleshed in us. Christ becomes formed in us. And in every one of these areas, the plan is that at some time we might have to have chosen, painfully chosen, to choose a particular path. But by consistently doing so, lo and behold, the choice becomes not only easier, but eventually just normal. That is what we do. Why? Because, you see, that is what we are. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Our duty is to react on the basis of that fact. And then, you see, 
not only do we act in love, but eventually we become like God. We are love. I pray that you are blessed by this teaching. In the wonderful name of our Saviour, Yeshua. Sure.